This episode of Commons is brought to you by the Canadian mattress company Endy. Endy is a sleep brand that's going to offer you the best possible sleep at the fairest possible price. They'll ship the mattress to you in a very cool box, easy to carry up your stairs like me if you live on the third floor, and you get a 100-night free trial to see if you like it. To try it out, visit ND.ca, that's E-N-D-Y, and use the promo code COMMONS to get $50 off your first mattress. This episode of Commons is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks that are short on time. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed so there's never food waste, all delivered right to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash commons, enter the promo code commons when you subscribe. In the past couple of years, Canada has seen horrific attacks across the country. It's been one year since a gunman opened fire inside a mosque in Quebec City, killing six people. We begin tonight with that horrific attack today in downtown Toronto. A driver barreling down a crowded street in a van and appearing to aim for pedestrians. And yet our hate crime statistics tell us that hate crimes in 2016 represented less than 0.1% of the almost 2 million crimes reported by police for that year. So what's going on here? Why are these hate crime stats so low? And do they actually represent what the true state of hate in Canada is? We answer those questions in this episode of Commons. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. From Canada Land, this is Commons. So, Hadia, I don't think before we had this conversation, I knew what hate crimes were, let alone the fact that the way we track hate crimes in this country is completely broken. I actually had no idea. I mean, I feel like I had an underlying sense of what a hate crime is, you know, as a person of color growing up in this country. The media reports these stats without questioning how they're collected. And as a scientist and a lawyer, I have some very deep reservations about how hate crimes are reported in Canada. I think a lot of the things, the smaller things that happen on a daily basis that are hate motivated do not get captured in this sort of net of of hate crime statistics. And it's making the problem seem less than it really is. Exactly. And you bring up a really great point about the statistics. And, you know, we have to better understand those statistics and the data and why we collect these stats the way we do and what we can do to get a better picture of the state of hate crimes in Canada. So that's why we sat down and spoke too. My name is Evan Balgord. I'm the executive director of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Uh, We're a nonprofit that uh, monitors hate groups and provides information to uh, researchers, to journalists, to law enforcement, and to community groups in the hopes of, of countering hate groups in Canada. And today I'm representing the research of Dr. Barbara Perry and Sabrina Jafar Siddiqui, who have been researching hate crimes in Canada. Uh, Dr. Perry has been uh, interviewing uh, police departments and looking at how 
police deal with hate crimes, uh, while Sabrina has been uh, speaking with the victims of hate crimes uh, and interviewing them uh, over 2017 um, and has shared her perspective on on a lot of issues on why people have a hard time sometimes coming forward uh, and reporting that they are the victim of a hate crime. Evan has been on a previous episode of Commons reporting on the rise of far-right groups in Canada. Here's our conversation with him about hate crimes in Canada. Evan, let's start right off the top defining what is a hate crime. So a hate crime uh, can broadly fall under two categories. So the first category um, would be the willful promotion of hatred towards an identifiable group. And this is what we would think of as hate speech. So under Canada, that kind of uh, hate speech uh, is illegal and is a hate crime. Hate crimes are also any vanilla crime or any any basic crime, you know, uh, theft, vandalism, assault, um, that is motivated by a hatred towards an individual based on them being part of a, a class of people. Um, that is also uh, a hate crime. That's different from what I think a lot of people in the public understand a hate crime to be, um, which we would actually call like a hate incident. So if something happens that is, you know, overtly hateful, somebody is targeted, uh, for example, you know, you may be walking down the street and somebody yells a racial slur at you, um, that would be considered more of a hate incident than uh, a hate crime. And uh, it's that data is kind of collected differently. Who makes that distinction? Generally speaking, the police make that distinction. So if a person was to make a report that they were the victim of a hate crime, uh, the responding officer would take that complaint um, and decide, you know, was this a criminal event? Was this not a criminal event? If it was a criminal event, that officer may make a police report. Uh, they may tick a box in that police report that says, you know, this was motivated by a, by a bias. It's called bias motivated, um, in which case, you know, it would be classified as a criminal act. And if it was not a criminal act, but, you know, an individual was, you know, targeted uh, for some hate, then it would be a hate incident. And, uh, and often we do not collect statistics on hate incidents. And so you bring up the example of using racial slurs. Would that not count as harassment? I have a, a similar question why we don't consider that a hate crime. Um, and in the case of criminal harassment, I do believe technically that that could be considered a hate crime. But I, I think it's rarely pursued as such. Right. And it, so this is sort of the the technical legal uh, definition of hate crime. But but you bring up, I think, something really interesting that I want to follow up on is the, the hate incidents. W what do we estimate the discrepancy between the numbers actually being? Well, this is one of the main issues is that it's not tracked. I, I can't even provide you with with an estimate. Um, I think that's a very important point. And if we if our goal is to measure overt racism in Canada, we should be collecting statistics on reported hate incidents, not just hate crimes. I would wager that most people of color and indigenous people have experienced at least one per year. Yeah. If not a much, much higher number. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I see it all the time on, on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, people saying like, I was just forcibly removed from Shoppers Drug Mart because, you know, I was taking too long to shop. I was asked to leave the grocery store with my kids because, you know, I was taking too long to shop. Like they're being, indigenous people are being targeted. How do we define hate incidences? Because it seems to be quite, there's quite a spectrum inside of what could possibly be defined as a hate incidence. Yeah, I'm a black person. I've inhabited a black body for 30 plus years. You know, I've had the N-word yelled at me from cars in the TTC, on the street at a bar. And it's often like my friends who are with me that are more shocked than me because they're, you know, they don't know how to process because it's never happened to them. And it's just another everyday occurrence in the life of a black person. 
because it is so pervasive, do you think it's possible to to track? I mean, I think it'd be hard to kind of keep track of. And sometimes you don't want to remember, right? Like something that's happened to you, you want, you don't want to linger on it or recall it or bring it up because it's kind of re-victimizing yourself or reliving the experience. And you're trying often to forget that these things have happened to you. Um, so unless you're kind of tracking it in the moment or you're asking people whether or not they've had some sort of incident over the year or, you know, rough, if they can roughly gauge how many times this happens, like their frequency, I think those questions might be a lot easier to, to answer. So that idea you just put forward seems like a much better way to measure overt racism in Canada um, than our hate crime stats, which are just a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction, not just of hate crimes, but of course of hate incidents. And yet, um, within the media, they are often reported on as if this is the number of hate crimes that happened in Canada in, in 2016, Look, or this is close to the number. Only 3,000. We're oh, doing great. Twelve, Like 1,400. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I mean, uh, that just that number seems laughably yeah. low, right? But it's because it's capturing the things that are actually tied to an obvious criminal offense. Yeah. It's not capturing really the everyday experience of minorities uh, in this country. This is my frustration with the hate crime versus the hate incidents is that we celebrate, you know, this this relatively low hate crime number. Um, but the hate incidents, you know, we don't we don't know that number. It frustrates me that there's just such a large percentage of the population in Canada that just really honestly believes that this is not happening in our backyard. Hadia brings up something really important about like, yeah, you don't want this in your life. You don't want to have to deal with the cops, especially, you know, with, with, with our community's sort of experience with police. So I, I just think that highlighting that disparity between the two definitions is, is just massively important. Um, Evan, give us an example of a hate crime that you can think of uh, off the top of your head that, that really demonstrates uh, what, what a hate crime uh, is. Well, I think the, the easiest example, because this is an example that almost certainly would make it into the statistics, um, would be a, a swastika or another hate symbol that is, that is spray painted somewhere public. So the incidents that are recorded as hate crimes uh, in the Stats Canada data uh, don't necessarily have to be reported by people. In some cases of vandalism, you know, it's sufficient that the vandalism obviously targets a group. So like a swastika spray painted uh, on a public building or something um, would likely make it into those hate crime statistics. In terms of what a hate crime might look like, you know, if somebody was assaulted and during the course of that assault, um, they used, you know, loaded racist language um, and the police were able to substantiate that that had happened um, and, and kind of the case was meaty enough for them to move forward, that would make its way into the statistics. However, um, if the police received that complaint from somebody, so I was assaulted and, and they yelled slurs at me, but if the police could not gather the evidence to satisfy themselves that that had occurred, it wouldn't make it into the statistics. So there is a bit of an issue here with with believing people when they come forward and, and making that complaint and then having them reflected in the statistics, because I think it's I think it's sufficient if somebody comes forward with a hate crime complaint um, that, you know, they took it seriously. They were victimized by something um, and that their their story essentially should be reflected in, in the hate crime data. And uh, in many cases right now, it's not. I want to find out how do we actually track hate crime stats in Canada Sure. So I, I can go through step by step here. So let's say that somebody was the victim of what they believed was a hate crime towards them. Um, you know, two thirds of them may not even report to the police. And in some communities, that number may be as high as 85 percent. 
But let's say they make the decision that they're going to, you know, report this to the police. So they'll call the police and then the responding officer will hear that complaint. Um, and then they will decide, you know, was this criminal, in which case, you know, they'll make a report or was this not criminal, in which case they may not make a report. But let's say that the frontline officer takes that report. Okay. When they input that report in their system, they have to know that there is a box to tick that says this crime may have been bias motivated. Um, there's an issue, uh, according to Dr. Barbara Perry, there's an issue with some police officers not necessarily having that training to know to tick that box. So that's a problem. But also the officer then has to decide how was this attack, you know, what was it motivated by? And this disproportionately affects um, communities that are more diverse and more intersectional. Uh, I'll give you an example. So let's say there's a black Muslim woman that is assaulted and has her hijab pulled. Um, was she targeted because she was Muslim? Was she targeted because it was anti-Islam? Was she targeted uh, because she's a woman? Was she targeted because she's black? So the, both the, the the victim may not have a perfect idea of why they were targeted, and the responding officer might not know which boxes to tick um, in their report. Then even assuming that they tick boxes in that report, then there's a level of review process whereby uh, you know a supervisor or a hate crimes unit or something may decide that there's not enough evidence that this was uh, motivated by hate, and they may untick that box. And then further, let's say it even goes through all those hurdles. Um, the police will then only report forward that case as a number in the statistics um, if they uh, very likely believe that it occurred and it was motivated um, by hate uh, or if they can demonstrate that, you know, it did occur and it was motivated by hate. So Dr. Barbara Perry believes that there's actually a ton of cases that are just kind of stuck in limbo where the that, that might be a really good idea for a reform, the bar where they do believe them. And so those stats aren't reported onto Statistics Canada. So a lot of numbers and a lot of people's stories and cases just never make it into the statistics and they're stuck there in limbo. So in the case of the intersectionality, why is it important that they know specifically why? Like, why does it matter if it was because she was black or because she was Muslim? I mean, shouldn't you just basically tick any of the identities that the person wants to, that the person objectively or subjectively meets? Um, as it is right now, you know, we don't know exactly which boxes uh, they might necessarily tick. And the issue that comes out of this is that certain groups become underrepresented in the data. So for example, you know, this, uh, this hypothetical Muslim individual that I referred to earlier, um, you know, they, their hate crime might get split into several categories, or they might not get every category they were part of represented. So, you know, as a result, there's probably some numbers in the anti-black um, category. There's probably some numbers in the in the anti-Arab category that also could fall within the anti-Muslim category. So some groups have those hate crimes split into multiple boxes. So ultimately, when you see the hate crime statistics say, you know, this group was the target of this many crimes and this group was the target of this many crimes. In actuality, groups that are more diverse uh, might be underrepresented in that data. And in reality, you know, they may have been targeted, targeted more. Yeah. I mean, to me, you it would make sense to include any box that the person kind of meets because if they were targeted because they're black and a woman, they should be represented in both the black and the uh, woman category. Yeah, they try to capture what the uh, intent of the perpetrator was and on what basis the perpetrator did that uh, hate crime. Um, and and reading into the the motivation of, of the perpetrator in this case um, probably does make it more difficult actually from a data perspective um, and does mean that that people are undercounted in the in the statistics of being victimized. 
This episode of Commons is brought to you by the Canadian mattress company ND. So I've moved into my new apartment. My ND mattress came with me. I finally have gotten a new bed and I'm super excited to put my mattress on the bed. It's also been super hot in my apartment and the ND mattress with its very lovely cooling gel has been a lifesaver. You know, I, I feel like listeners of this podcast not only get our like beautiful political hot takes on everything important in this country, but they also get to follow the saga of Hadia and the Andy mattress. This has been quite a story, um, but you love you love this mattress. Are, are You're still within your Hyundai night free trial, but you are not returning this, right? No, it is. It is not going back, though, if I were to return it. And it doesn't happen very often. Andy works with local charities and furniture banks and makes sure that those mattresses get into the homes of people in need. That's right. And when you order this Andy mattress, they're going to ship it to you in a box. They are offering you a 100-night free trial, but you can try it out by visiting andy.ca. That's E-N-D-Y C-A. Use the promo code COMMONS, and you're going to get $50 off your first mattress. This episode of Commons is also brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. When I shop for myself, I often shop when I'm hungry and I buy too much food and I end up wasting a lot of food. And I feel like a guilty person, even though I'm composting it, but a lot of stuff gets thrown out. Yeah, and I find when I shop, I just kind of stick to the basics. I'll be, you know, I'll get a few chicken breasts for the barbecue, um, some potatoes and asparagus every single time. But what's awesome about HelloFresh is that you actually get to try new delicious recipes. The truth is about the recipes is that these these take less than 30 minutes and it's summertime. Nobody wants to be stuck inside cooking five-course meals for their families or for themselves. These things take around 30 minutes uh, from start to finish. And these recipes are perfect for everyone from novices to professional cooks that just don't have enough time to cook the meals that they want. So our listeners get a hell of a deal, 50% off your first box if you visit hellofresh.ca slash commons and enter the promo code commons when you subscribe. So when we look at the numbers, we get a, a general sense of, of what is happening. But let's talk about what is not happening. Some communities underreport hate crimes. Why do you think that is? What, what's going on there? There's a few reasons. Um, the first can come from a, a cultural or a language barrier. Uh, we know from Sabrina's research that uh, newcomer Canadians, uh, you know, first generation especially, uh, they often may not even recognize that they were the the victim of, of a of a hate crime, uh, and even if they did, uh, you know, they will often prioritize other other issues with their life that that they need to deal with, you know, employment, healthcare, housing, over reporting the hate crime. There's also the sense uh, in in some communities, especially newcomers, that things are so much better here in Canada that they shouldn't look like they're being ungrateful by reporting that you know they've been targeted in some way here in Canada. For all people, though, a lot of people give reasons why they don't um, report hate crimes, and they include, uh, you know, they don't believe the police will be able to catch the person who did it. You know, they might not feel like the police are going to take them seriously. They might have felt that, you know, this was, you know, minor enough that I didn't want to take the time to to report it, or they kind of shrug it off. And uh, so it generally breaks down to two categories, you know, people believing that the police 
uh, won't take them seriously or, or won't be effective is, is a large issue. So I'm sitting here listening to Evan break down the statistics and how these numbers are gathered. And it seems like it's really hard to get a clear picture with data. Is, am, I, am I on the right path here, Evan? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're ever looking for a perfect solution in, in kind of capturing large statistics like this. I think it's important, though, to reform the system of how hate crime complaints get dealt with so that if we're talking about these statistics and we're using them as a barometer of overt racism in Canada, at least that barometer is as accurate as it could be. Knowing that we have these problems with the stats and there seems to be a gulf in the reporting, um, should we be using them at all? I think that the only way to, to report on these hate crime stats right now is with several strong caveats uh, about what the data really represents. So when this hate crime data comes out, the hate crime data that's reported by StatsCan cannot be used to reflect the like the on the ground reality. All that it really tells you is, you know, these are the the instances of hate crimes that have been reported to police that they have found substantial enough to report to Stats Canada. And here are the numbers. But when you're talking about such a tiny proportion of uh, of hate incidences and hate crimes, such a tiny proportion makes it through to the stats can data that I don't think it's particularly useful data. And often it's used uh, in one of two ways that is especially troubling. One of those ways is as a horse race, you know, which group is the most victimized, thereby which one should we pay the most attention to? Um, for uh, for a few reasons, you know, groups are counted uh, differently. Some groups are, are kind of undervalued in those statistics. So first off, there's issues just with that data. Uh, but second off, it's such a tiny uh, sample of sorts that, you know, we shouldn't be ascribing trends or or saying, you know, who is the most victimized based on this data. And the other really troubling reporting um, is when I see reporting uh, that people are saying, you know, racism isn't an issue in Canada. Just look at our hate crime stats. You know, clearly it's not that big of a deal. I mean, this all came together and came to a head kind of uh, with the incident in in January where an 11-year-old Muslim girl lied about a man running up to her on her way to school and, and cutting her hijab. Yeah, Yes, she, she lied about that. She was an 11-year-old girl. Uh, but what happened online very quickly were, was that people were quick to jump on it and say, like, look, this thing that people were calling Islamophobia and a hate crime, it didn't happen. Um, you know, all Islamophobia, all hate crimes towards Muslim are invented by the government, by the media to push this narrative of Islamophobia to force Sharia law down our throats. And then sometimes, you know, they'll point to the hate crime statistics and be like, look, and Canada's not that bad anyways. So, yeah, the, I, I have huge problems with with the way the data uh, is currently used and, and, and presented uh, because I believe it lets uh, people in certain circles push forward this narrative that that racism racism is not a problem in Canada and we should not report on it in such a way that that lends itself to that because it's just it's just not true and the data is is not useful to speak to that point. It sounds to me given the reluctance for people to report to the cops and given the gulf that we see even in the hate uh, crime numbers not let alone the hate incident numbers is that StatsCan could maybe start collecting hate incident reports and say, you know, um, has this happened to you in the past 12 months? Um, what kinds of things, you know, what categories have you been attacked for or targeted for? To me, that seems that that would be much more useful information um, for really understanding the, the depth of this problem. I think the next time the general social survey goes out is, is 2019. 
Um, and I think that actually wouldn't be too difficult for them to expand on that with a few other questions to get to get yeah. to the heart of that. I'll Rather write it for than, you, stats can. Yeah, <laughs> helping you out. Yeah. Rather than just being like, hey, were you a victim of any of these 12 crimes? And, uh, you know, was any of it hate motivated? They could additionally ask somebody, you know, hey, were you the victim of, you know, an overtly hateful incident towards you based on, you know, your identity in the past 12 months? And that that may give us a good snapshot. You know, we've. Uh, briefly mentioned reform, but Evan, in, in your view, you know, what has to change in order to, to, to have better data reflect what's actually happening in communities? I think one thing, though, that could be changed to more accurately represent the reality on the ground would be for police to simply report forward to Statistics Canada the number of times they have received uh, a complaint where somebody said um, this was hate motivated. Um, rather than, you know, all the steps by which that data may disappear, just report forward that that uh, the number of initial complaints, that would be the first thing to getting us closer to accurate results. It shouldn't stop there. There's several other reforms that we made. Um, but fastest, easiest solution, I think, would be, you know, next year, let's see the departments just report forward the number of complaints they received. I'm hearing parallels to Unfounded. Um, that's the investigation that looked at the underreporting of sexual assaults or the police actually categorizing reported sexual assaults as unfounded, as in there's no basis here for a claim. Maybe I should grab Robin and we'll do unfounded, the hate crime stat edition. I would totally welcome uh, a media outlet that would devote some resources into basically um, emulating the unfounded investigation, but for the systemic issues in how hate crime complaints are dealt with and whether they are deemed um, you know, to be credible and and uh, and there's enough meat to them to report them forward or whether the police, you know, determine that there isn't enough to to say it happened and, and therefore they're not reflected in the statistics. So, Hadia, it looks like we did it. We've solved Canada's racism problem. Yeah, oh, you know, less than 2,000 hate crimes reported except for... None of the daily aggressions that happen to everyone all the time are ever reported. Like, how do I report the person who, you know, yells the N word out of, at me out of a car and then drives off? Well, you. How do I? You, you don't. How do I? You don't. No. How, how do I report being followed around the shoppers' drug mart or being, you know, given suspicious looks if I take too long? Ah. This is something I know that also happens to indigenous people nah, you don't you don't report those those are no big deal no i mean it's it for me it also draws parallels to the microaggressions um, that i experienced in the workplace right like it's easy to report overt acts of racism but how do you report that raised eyebrow or the pause when someone learns that you're the person working on you know the project or the file like these things are so small but they add up over time and they can be very difficult. And I really think I'd really love for StatsCan, you know, to capture some of these and to really get at the state of, of hate and racism and misogyny in our country. Absolutely. And I'll stop joking and being sarcastic for a second and just say that I personally um, am, am a white passing indigenous person. And my experience in the world is very different than, you know, a, a brown skin cousin of mine. And what this means is that often racists think I'm on their team. And I see those microaggressions and I see the way it plays out all 
the time because racists think I'm on their team. And I can, I can, I can just tell you that this country's inability to address the racism problem is for me, it's absolutely the elephant in the room. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. It's a word that immediately triggers self-defense. And by not acknowledging the fact that there are a lot of racists in this country and that this country was founded on racist ideologies and that it permeates it permeates our communities in in, in the present day in a way that that is is so harmful and polite um if we can't talk about that then i, I don't know what else, i don't know what else to tell you we'll have a job on this podcast for a long time because we'll talk about it but our apprehension to talk about it as a society um, is, is really frustrating. Well, that's our Commons episode for this week. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. And I'm Ryan McMahon. Thanks for tuning in. If you have feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at latifa, that's L-A-T-I-F-A, at canadalandshow.com. This episode was produced by Latifa Abdin with editorial help from Ellen Payne-Smith. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Our music is produced by Nathan Burley. If you want to get at us, find us online. And if you like what we do, please support us. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.